Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Desgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? A podcast of happiness and wellness, amazing people, amazing stories. And of course, there's always a sprinkling of medicine throughout. And one of the most important things about the podcast is to raise awareness. And in October, it's one of the most important months. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And today, we are super lucky. We have an official breast cancer oncologist. I'm so excited. So, but you know the rules, everyone. Before I could introduce you to her, I got to read her bio. So this is going to be Dr. Anastasia Martinova, a assistant professor of clinical medicine and specializes in breast cancer treatment and committed to improving patient care and innovative therapies for women's cancers. Dr. Anastasia Martinova's journey in the uh, medical field began with a strong passion for making a difference in the lives of cancer patients. She embarked on her academic journey by pursuing a rigorous education that laid the foundation for her career. After completing her undergraduate studies in immunology with honors and received her medical degree from Moscow First Medical University, earning summa cum laude, Dr. Martinova's dedication to oncology led her to the University of Southern California, yay Trojans, where she worked in cancer research prior to completing her internship and residency in internal medicine. Dr. Martinova pursued further specialization through a fellowship in hematology and oncology, also at USC. Throughout her training, Dr. Martinova distinguished herself as a clinician with a commitment to patient-centered care and her ability to communicate complex medical information with empathy garden her with the esteemed patient care award. Her research focuses on developing innovative therapies for aggressive types of breast cancers, such as triple negative breast cancer and hereditary breast cancers in young adults. Beyond her research and clinical work, Dr. Martinova devotes considerable time and volunteering to the American Cancer Society, where she contributes her expertise to support their mission of eliminating cancer as a major health problem. She is a lead for Breast Cancer Navigator Program at LAGMC, uh, advocating for the most vulnerable patient population to receive comprehensive care and emotional support throughout their challenging ordeal. With a keen focus on women's health, she is dedicated to making meaningful contributions that improve the lives of individuals affected by cancer. Outside her demanding career, Dr. Martinova also cherishes her role as a mother of two children. She is an big advocate for healthy lifestyle and exercising. She actively encourages and educates her patients on adopting wellness practices to complement their cancer treatment, empowering them to lead healthier lives during and beyond their cancer journey. And with all this being said, Stacy, 
Thank you for coming here today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Are you kidding me? Now, I didn't tell this to anyone, but you were my resident for a little bit, weren't I you? Was. I, I was for three years, I think. So more than a little bit. Huh? <laughs> so this is, you know what? It all comes full circle. Now you are the expert. I'm excited for you to, to be on the show today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. All right. So here's our kind of meet and greet questions. So my listeners could get to know you. So did you always want to be a doctor? Did you always want to be a physician? I did. Um, and I actually don't remember any other career path that I could think of as as long as I remember, I wanted to be a doctor. I come from a family of physicians. Uh, so my father is a vascular surgeon oh. and my mother is a gynecologist. Since I was a little girl, I always dreamed to be a doctor. I was playing a doctor and never looked back and never even had another ideas about my career. I love that. I love that. So, but there are many choices when you're going to be a physician and I didn't realize dad surgeon, mom and ob So why did you go the route of oncology? You know, me and you both work in the Norris Cancer Center. I'm crying all the time because the cases kind of make me tear up. Why, why oncology? Why specifically breast cancer? Yeah, so um, I did not always want to be oncologist. I actually wanted to be pediatrician, OB-GYN, as well as cardiologist. In residency, I considered cardiology. However, I remember it was 2013, I was in med school, and at that time, it was a big cancer immunotherapy development, um, and I became interested in that. And being interested in research, in specifically in cancer immunotherapy research, I can pursue that career, and I believe it's very exciting, it's innovative, and also it makes difference in people's lives. I noticed that you didn't mention critical care or pulmonary as part of your differential. Did I not do a good job? During you did training? a great job. <laughs> you did a great job. It just, you know, it's not it's not for me. And I realized that people in ICU, um, it's, it's really sick. I know you said you tearing up mm -hmm. about oncology patients, but that's how I felt in ICU. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to some specific stuff. So um, let's start talking about mammograms. You can't have breast cancer when stuff talking about mammograms, okay? Yes. And I told my listeners that I'm getting a really awesome, you know, oncologist here. So they sent some questions in. So let's see if we can get you on these. So we're going to be talking about women today, but let me just say one thing. Men get breast cancer, right? They do. Yeah, they totally do. Um, it is very rare, but men also can get breast cancer. In fact, some men are at risk of breast cancer if they uh, carry certain hereditary gene, hereditary gene mutation that they can be tested for. So um, it is very important to know your family history. And yeah. we'll talk about it more. But even for men with the family history of multiple females having breast cancer in their families, they need to talk to their clinician um, Interesting. about possible testing. Now, I just mentioned it because all my questions can be directed towards women on this, but we had to give a shout out to men, okay? So uh, when should a woman begin getting mammograms? Because it is confusing. You know, there's all these different guidelines, American Cancer Society, U.S. Preventive Task Force. So you tell me whether it's your opinion or what guidelines do you use? So when should pe women start getting mammograms? Um, I agree. It's been confusing and it's still controversial. But recently, actually this year, we had updated recommendations from U.S. Preventative Service Task Force that 
who now recommends starting mammogram at age 40. Interestingly, that um, U.S. Preventative Task Force previously recommended to start mammogram at age 40 until year 2009, Mm -hmm. where they switched their recommendation to age 50. The rationale for this recommendation change from 40 to 50 in 2009 was because they couldn't see a lot of benefit in that age group, but also they did see a lot of anxiety, a lot of unnecessary biopsies done, and a lot of additional unnecessary imaging done. But compared to now, in 2009, we didn't have that capabilities of imaging that we have, and we did see a lot more unnecessary biopsies. 10 years ago. Um, now, the capabilities of the images, as well as the newer models of mammogram machines, allow us to prevent those unnecessary biopsies. Therefore, the anxiety and the other um, risks of mammogram is no longer an issue. Well, this is huge. You know what I mean? Is that fact that now that everyone's on the same page, and you know, the two you know, guidelines you mentioned are the big hitters, so now it's 40. We can finally agree upon a number. Now, controversy again. How often should I get a mammogram? I know there's so many different people and risk factors, but can you answer it in broad strokes first and go from there? Yeah. So the general recommendation is to have mammogram every year, starting at age 40 every year until age 75. Now, now we talk about mammograms in general. I got to talk about some of like the risks and benefits. Of course, I mean the the major benefits catching cancer early, and that's what I want in all my patients. But uh, are there some risks that you mentioned to your patients if they ask about getting a mammogram? There are a few risks, but let's talk about the purpose of mammogram first. Let's do it. So, mammogram is a screening tool. Okay. Uh, so, designed to detect non-palpable cancers at early stage. And therefore, by detecting these cancers, will improve survival. So people will not die from cancer at more advanced stages. Um, there are a few caveats with mammograms. The mammogram can lead to more extensive testing if the radiologist who sees the mammogram thinks that the tumor or the calcifications that they see on mammogram are suspicious. The mammogram also can lead to a biopsy, which sometimes can show benign tissue, which is not bad, right? It's not a cancer, but again, maybe that biopsy was not necessary. So the main risks of the mammogram is actually getting the false positive mammogram. Going back 10 years ago, the most false positive mammogram was actually a biopsy, the risks of false positive mammogram. However, now we had so much experience with different mammograms and especially using the most innovative 3D mammogram now that risk of unnecessary biopsy diminished significantly. So now the most common actually false positive is to be called back from a mammogram for additional imaging. Okay. I love that answer. Now, can I throw you a curveball? I didn't prepare you for this one. Oh, are you going to be okay? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> there, are t- there are two, no. there are t- you know, I, I put, you know, breast cancer, yeah. two broad categories, you know, ductal and lobar, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, lobular, 
you know, historically is the one you don't feel as well. And so talking about palpable masses and mammograms and all, is it equal that a mammogram could detect a ductal carcinoma as well as a lobar carcinoma as well? One's not better than the other. It's all comers of breast cancer. Just to simplify, yeah. yeah. So if you, um, there are breast cancers that come in from breast glands that yeah. make milk. Yes. And there's a breast cancer that actually comes from milk ducts mm-hmm. that the milk flows into. Yeah. And both of those cancers can be seen on mammogram. When you look at the mammogram, you see white cancer on a dark background. The dark background is fat tissue. And the white things on mammogram, you see like rub-like, different um, like star-like appearance things that could mm-hmm. be confusing. That actually milk ducts okay. and some glands. But sometimes the calcifications or the cancer can also appear white on the back, the black background. Okay, nice. So let's talk about preparing, you know, so a woman's going to try to prepare for mammogram. Do you tell her to do anything specifically? And how, by the way, how long does a, a mammogram take? So usually mammogram takes about 20 minutes. Okay. When someone goes to have a mammogram, they need a technician, the mammography mm-hmm. technician, mm-hmm. who explains the mammogram. And um, in terms of preparation for mammogram, there are a few important points I would like to um, kind of touch yeah, go on. for it. Okay. So first, I think going to a center that specializes in mammography okay. is very important. Why is that? Why is that? Yeah. The main reason is what if you need a follow-up imaging? Okay. What if you need additional modality to the mammogram? Okay. That is especially true for uh, women with dense breasts. Ah. And we can touch on it in more details. But certain females who have more dense breasts than the others should sometimes should have additional imaging. And mammography centers, they usually provide that imaging. So it's not the clinician, not you and me, that makes that decision. When they go there, they're like, you know what? The density, you need a different type of imaging. So not necessarily the different type. Mm-hmm. but addition of different modality. Now you're getting me all like into this now. So what additional modalities, <laughs> do you yeah. want to go that way? What, what additional thing would you offer a woman? Sure. So the mammography is still a standard screening tool yeah. for all females, okay. regardless of how dense their breasts are and regardless of the risk. Okay. But there are additional tools that we can okay. use okay. to kind of enhance the imaging. Okay. Remember I told you that the mammogram is like looking for a white cancer and black background? Yes, you did. So when the breast is dense, it's more white. Okay. So the ratio of uh, white and black Mm -hmm. is actually really high towards white. And you can't really see the white cancer in a white breast. Uh, Therefore, for those females, we do recommend, in addition to mammogram, get ultrasound MRI breast, sometimes contrast enhanced mammography, or molecular breast imaging. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm glad that you specialize in this. <laughs> but but the take-home message is go there, start off with a mammogram, and then go from there. Correct. So okay. first is to choose the right mammography center. Yes. Second, if you had a mammogram in the past, you should either go to the same facility mm-hmm. or bring your records with you, the p- past mammograms. Nice. 
So does it make a difference if you get a mammogram from one center, then you bring those images to another center? It's always, you know, trying to get done at the same place. Is there variance in the technique and who interprets and all those things? Is that what we're trying to say? Yeah, so that is very important, variance in technique, but mm -hmm. also for the radiologist to compare current imaging with the prior imaging. Okay. Sometimes it makes a big difference. So okay. let's say if there was a cyst that is present for two years yep. and there's no change, so the biopsy or additional imaging modality may not be necessary. Okay. However, if radiologist is not aware of the cyst mm -hmm. that it was seen prior, they might pursue unnecessary biopsy. Now, I'm going to actually move a question up because now it makes sense. I see why you recommended this. I love it. Let's talk about COVID. You know, I'm because how do I prepare? And, you know, right now we're in, in the fall, going to the winter. And I think just in the news, they FDA approved our COVID boosters. I heard that COVID vaccine actually affects results of mammogram. Is this true? And how does that kind of factor in how you prepare for your mammogram, you know, around the, your COVID booster shot? Yeah, so I did hear that as well. And first, I would like to say that COVID does not cause breast cancer. Well said. <laughs> Just so in case need, someone says that. <laughs> we need to be clear on that. Yes. COVID vaccine or COVID or any vaccine mm -hmm. actually do not cause breast cancer. So I would not recommend to get any vaccine, including COVID vaccine, mm -hmm. within six weeks of a scheduled mammogram. And the reason is because when you have a vaccine into your arm, the vaccine component actually goes into the lymph nodes under arm. And that makes them swollen, which is a natural response to vaccine. The immune system is trying to make a new immune cells to protect you from COVID or from whatever pathogen you have vaccine against which. And the swollen lymph nodes under arm can actually be seen on mammogram and could be concerning. That is a great pearl for everyone right there. I just love that one. Now, this one I wanted to ask too, because you mentioned a bunch of other imaging and maybe we'll get back to that, but I've heard about something called 3D mammograms. Anything that says 3D just sounds cool because it's 3D. Can you explain to the general audience and me what is the difference between a 3D mammogram and just a regular mammogram? You know what I mean? Is this something you have to request or does your physician do it? So now 3D mammogram actually becoming a standard of care. So most centers offer only 3D mammogram as opposed to 2D digital mammogram that we used in the past. So the main difference, it allows us to get additional dimension, the 3D dimension, and it allows us to get additional views of the breast. So when you go for mammogram, and if you see only two plates of a mammogram machine, then it's, it's a 2D mammogram. And if there is an arch that is moving while you get in a mammogram, that is a 3D mammogram. It allows radiologists to see breast tissue better and to better characterize what they see. Now, question, I'm just making this up, but yeah. is this another reason why maybe the guidelines have changed for the U.S. Preventive Task Force to having now 3D mammograms and less biopsies and all that? That adds to that change recommendation a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I feel like now, since we have more experience using mammography, mm -hmm. we have better tools yeah. of mammography, like 3D mammogram. We definitely avoid 
and that survives is more at higher rates. Mm -hmm. And we do not provoke anxiety that much yeah. in females undergoing screening. So for your patients, when you uh, schedule the mammogram, they're all 3D mammograms? Yeah. So we at USC here, we use uh, 3D mammograms only in wow. the breast center. All right. So let's uh, talk about higher than average risk of having breast cancer. You don't want to go there? You want to go Let's somewhere go else? Let's go back to about how to prepare for medical. Wow. <laughs> I love that you're you're running this podcast over here. It's not the Dr. Raj podcast anymore. Okay, what do you want to, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. I, I love that you're preparing. Okay. I love that. You go, okay. Yeah. So preparing, just, preparing. Yeah, so mm -hmm. the other important point yeah. is you can go to have a mammogram on any day of your cycle if you still oh, pre-menopausal. Oh. And I didn't know that. the reason I <laughs> only recommend yeah. not go a week before the period yeah. Yeah. because of some, some patients have tender breasts okay. right before their period. And mammogram is actually um, literally like squeezing the breast tissue in between the plates of the mammogram machine. So it will be just uncomfortable. It will not change the view of the mammogram. There's no other additional findings that could radiologists could see while patient is on period or right before the period, but just it will be uncomfortable for the patient. So I would not recommend to schedule a mammogram within a week before the period. So for the patients, do your schedulers or the mammogram center ask these questions to help the women out or they no? Do, they do. They actually do okay. ask. They do they they ask you what what cycle, what day of the cycle you are. Okay when you come for a mammogram. However, again, just being your own advocate. I like it. Schedule mammogram. I like it. When you feel like no, when you don't feel tender breasts mm -hmm. and that you can undergo mammogram safely and it will not be that unpleasant mm -hmm. as it can be for some patients. Okay. So let's talk. <laughs> I really want to talk about higher than average risk breast cancer because you did mention a couple of things. You mentioned MRI you know, mm -hmm. earlier. And so what are going to be the characteristics to be higher than average risk? And does that change the type of screening that happens initially? Meaning that, is it always going to start with the mammogram? Or can you explain that to me? Uh, totally. So the average risk of breast cancer is 12% of a, in a lifetime. Okay. That means that about one out of eight women will get a breast cancer in mm -hmm. their lifetime, which is actually a large number of females. However, there are certain uh, women who have higher risk of breast cancer, high, higher than 12. And our job as clinicians to actually identify those women and start them on mammograms earlier and sometimes add additional imaging modalities like an MRI. Um, so Women with dense breasts, actually, that we talked about at higher risk but you breast would, but, cancer. But they wouldn't know that till a doctor says that, correct? Correct. Yeah. So um, now there is a mandatory notification for females with dense breasts that mm -hmm. radiologists must notify the patient that they have a dense breast. Okay. But again, they must have mammogram first before they know exactly. whether or not they have dense breasts. So what are going to be some high-risk characteristics that the listeners could just kind of say, uh-oh, I have that, I have this one. What are those characteristics? Yeah, important is family history. Okay. So you must know your family history. I know sometimes it may be difficult mm -hmm. um, if you don't know one of the parents' side of the family history of, 
or you've been adopted, but this is one of the most important because hereditary breast cancer is there and it tends to affect younger people who do not routinely have screening mammography. What's your youngest patient with breast cancer? Oh, I had a 20-year-old breast (sighs) cancer patient. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So um, young people can have breast sure. cancers. And it's also very important to let your provider know that you do have a history of uh, breast cancer, family history of breast cancer. Like your grandmother or aunt or mom or sibling had a breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And that is very important for your health provider to know. And the reason is that they can use a special calculators mm-hmm. to calculate average risk of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And it's not only important to know that risk for earl- earlier mammography or breast MRI. Mm-hmm. Also, there is a breast cancer prevention strategies we can do to prevent the breast cancer. Because wow. remember, mammography does not prevent the breast cancer. Correct. And it does not put you at lower risk of breast cancer. It just detects the breast cancer. You're getting me all fired up. I mean, so what are some of these prevention things? Because that's, you're correct. What will help prevent you from developing breast cancer and those that are high risk? Yeah, so one of the most important, in my opinion, is actually lifestyle modifications. um, And this is evidence-based medicine, right? It is evidence-based medicine. Okay, okay. And we all know that extra weight does increase risk of breast cancer. Well said. Diabetes does increase risk of breast cancer. Alcohol does increase risk of breast cancer. So maintaining ideal body weight, especially after menopause, mm-hmm. is extremely, extremely important to decrease risk of breast cancer. And let me say true or false in a couple of them. How about, you know, having your first child later in life? Is that going to be a risk for breast cancer? It does increase your risk of breast cancer. Okay. Uh, having your period much earlier in life, is that a risk for breast yes, cancer? So you ask these questions, right? Yeah, so this is correct. Okay. And speaking of these questions, the, yeah. those questions actually incorporated in the risk models we use okay. to calculate the average risk uh, of breast cancer for this particular patient. Okay. Right, we ask when did the, your period start? Yeah. When did you have your menopause? Uh, how old were you when you had your first pregnancy? If you had a family history of breast cancer. Sure. So all these are very important. What about breastfeeding? The breastfeeding actually decreases your risk of breast cancer. That's a good thing, right? That's it one of the many, thing. many reasons why we encourage it in our women who deliver here in yes. the States. Yes. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah. And another um, strategy to decrease the risk of breast cancer, I would like to mention because yeah. people actually... Are not aware of it. Many patients are not aware of it. It's some of the medication we can use to decrease the risk of the breast cancer. Throw it out. Throw it out. Give me some names. Like My tamoxifen. Ah. Yeah. So if someone's at high risk, you may initiate the medication. Correct. So if someone has, let's say, 30% risk of breast cancer, tamoxifen actually decreases that risk in half. Oh, you're making like the smartest doctor right now. I always thought that medication was going to be someone who's, you know, estrogen receptor positive, you know, and they wanted to be on the medication. I didn't realize you use it to decrease the chance of getting it. You do. And is that what you do? Yes, that's what we do. Uh, It's one of the preventative strategies to decrease the risk of breast cancer. 
cancer. Actually, primary care doctor also can do that, but we do get those referrals for patients with higher than average risk of breast cancer. Is that the only medication or are there other medications you may consider also? Is that the main one There is evidence behind it? Correct. Okay. There is a main one, but there is this other medication in the, that medication class that okay. you can use. Nice. I love that. That was a great thing to just mention here. All right. So for these high risk patients, I think I forgot what I asked you. What 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 screening are you going to do with these individuals? Is it always going to be mammogram first or do you going to start with something else? So it depends on how high of the risk the patient is. Mm -hmm. So if they do have, uh, let's say the BRCA mutation, the famous one yes. that everyone knows about, that, that mutation actually puts patient at high risk of developing cancer at very young age. Okay. And we do recommend MRI screening for those patients. And the reason why is we start the screening very early, sometimes at age 25, sometimes at age 30, depending on multiple risk factors and uh, especially one of the most important is like what age the family member was diagnosed with the breast cancer. So we would like to start earlier than that age. And the problem with young patients undergoing mammogram, the breast extremely dense. The younger the patient is, the more dense the breasts are. Um, and you can't see cancers on the dense breasts, as mm -hmm. we talked about. So the MRI is actually preferred modality for patients younger than 30. Okay, so for those patients, high-risk patients, there's no mammogram. It's just going to MRI, correct? We, and would that be yearly also? Correct, yeah. So we usually okay. tend to do yearly MRIs for younger patients, younger than 30, mm -hmm. with um, more than average risk of breast cancer. Okay. But then after they turn 30, we do tend to switch to mammography alternating with MRI tests. Okay. It, it always has to be a little trickier, which is why it's always good to find some that specializes in this because of all the different changes in guidelines, right? Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. So I have a couple of uh, other questions that my listeners sent in here. Self-breast exam. Um, what is your take on it? What are the guidelines take on it? Do you encourage your patients to do it? Oh, yeah. So I'm actually a big advocate for self-breast exam. You know how we all talking about we have to be emotionally smart. We have to be aware of our mental health, our emotional health. But we also have to be aware of your body, right? Yeah. Aware of our bodies and aware of like what changes happen to our bodies. So I do encourage all my patients to do self-breast exams. And you actually can do it monthly. For patients who are premenopausal, I recommend to uh, do self-breast exam in the middle of the cycle. And for postmenopausal patients, they can do it at any time um, during the month, but I usually recommend to do it on the first of the month. So okay. they remember to do that. But there are a few caveats. So we don't know how to do that. Like nobody teach people how yeah. to do self-breast exams. Actually, I mean, we do study that in medical school, sure. but we never teach our patients. We never emphasize how important it is and how actually to perform yeah. the breast uh, self-exam. Yeah. Like the first, you should use your flat palm to okay. do a breast self-exam. Sure. It shouldn't be your fingertips. Okay. It shouldn't be the back of your hand. No. It should be a flat palm. Okay. And the position is also important. You shouldn't be lying flat. 
Oh, and all right. you shouldn't be standing up to do a breast uh, self breast. I guess I'll leave sitting down. So you should be sitting down, but actually you should be at like 30 degree incline okay. to do a self-breast exam because that allows you to move the mammary gland around and using your flat palm, kind of go over a breast, the entire breast, starting like an outer corner, going inwards, um, and then to go do outer lower corner and inwards, clockwise and counterclockwise. And I do recommend to do it at least every three months, but every other month or monthly, it's even better because then you start noticing changes. So the change is important, not the, maybe the first time you feel like you're all confused, like what's going on, what is it there where it should be, then you should talk to your clinician to ask them to do a breast exam if you have any concerns. But the change, that what is important. So you kind of hinted at this. What about doctors and NPs and all healthcare providers? Are, are you big proponents of primary care doctors and uh, healthcare providers doing a, a, a breast exam during yes. their visits? Yes. I think uh, mm -hmm. that each patient should give a uh, medical provider breast exam at least annually. And patients that are higher risk for breast cancer or with a history of breast cancer should sometimes have it every three months, every six months, but at least annually, it's very important. All right. Well, here's here's what I'm, I'm curious about. So one of my listeners is pregnant. Congratulations. And um, she wants to know, can I get screened for breast cancer? And if so, what screening should she use? She's pregnant. Should she use a mammogram, you know? Yeah. So this is a very important question. And I know most people... Uh, if let's say if they get pregnant at 40 and they do for their mammogram, they're trying to avoid mammogram because they're afraid that it's going to harm the baby, right? The radiation That's what it from sounds the like. mammogram yeah. Yeah, yeah. or like why it should be important to get screened now since I can be screened later after the pregnancy. Yeah. The problem is that, that actually the breast cancer that start during pregnancy or actually any cancer during pregnancy, tends to be more aggressive. And we would like, love to find it early. This is the goal, and it's very important to find that cancer early and not to wait until the end of the pregnancy. And I also would like to say that we do have effective treatments of cancer that we can use during pregnancy. And um, it's very important for patients to know and realize that, that even if the breast cancer is found during pregnancy, it can be treated. So how did how does that patient, my lister, get screened? Is it going to be a mammogram? Yeah. So the the screening tool it's still mammogram. Okay. And some patients ask whether they can use MRI because MRI does not use radiation. However, MRI use contrast during the mammogram, and the contrast crosses placenta, so you cannot use contrast during pregnancy. Uh, just let the technician, the mammography technician, know that you're pregnant and they can add additional shield for the abdominal area to protect that from the radiation field. But I would like all the patients to know that mammography uses extremely low dose of radiation and it's directed towards the breast. So there is very low likelihood that it will go to other parts of the body. Okay. Now, I think I'm going to get you on this one. So one of my listeners actually wrote in 
she has breast implants. Didn't tell me why or how, just has breast implants. And she wants to know, can she be screened? But you know me, I'm going to add another question because you're, you're pretty good at this. Do breast implants put women at a higher risk of getting cancer or anything like that? Um, we actually don't have that information in, in particular for breast cancer, whether or not the breast implants increase the risk of breast cancer. I just threw it in there. I just wanted we, to know. Yeah, you know. We, we okay. don't. We don't have that correlation. Okay. But the importance um, of kind of the risk of breast implant is not that it causes the breast cancer. It actually can make mammography less sensitive to pick it up. Because oh, wow. the implant, they're seen on mammogram, and the area where implant is in contact with mammary gland yeah. can be hard to see. The radiologist can be really hard to see that area. So if you do have breast implants, it's important, again, to go to a specialized mammography center. Okay. Important to let technician know that you have breast implants and they will get two additional view of each breast. Okay. And we call it displaced implant view. And it's literally that the technician will displace the implant towards the chest wall and mammary gland towards the mammography machine. Maybe uncomfortable. It, people do tend to say that it is painful to do mammogram with breast implants. However, I would like to emphasize that ultrasound, although it's less painful, it cannot replace screen mammography. Okay for people with or without breast implants. On the ultrasound, sometimes we cannot see calcification. So we actually can see more cancers with mammogram that, than with ultrasound. Okay, no, I love that answer. So, you know, by the way, we're nearing the end. You're just amazing. But um, so this one's kind of open-ended. You know, one of my listeners said they had an abnormal finding. I wish I could tell you what it is, you know, but they just want to know, if you have an abnormal finding on a mammogram or a clinical breast exam, what is the usual follow-up? I don't think they're very specific here, but if you can give a couple of suggestions of what the next steps may be with an abnormal finding on mammo or physical exam, can you yeah. kind of inform my listeners? So if it is an abnormal mammogram, yeah. actually I would like to tell you that one in four women get called back from mammogram. That many? That That's many. a lot. It is a lot. I didn't think it was that many. It's one in four. Okay. Yeah, so definitely can be anxiety-provoking. Yeah. But uh, what they do when they come back, they just get additional pictures. And most It's, it's a mammogram it, again? Correct. Okay. It's a mammogram again with additional pictures. Okay. And 90% of those women would be told, okay, follow up in one year. So it looks, the mammogram looks normal. But some of the patients actually do get called back for additional imaging, which could be a mammogram or ultrasound. And uh, the ultrasound can show a simple cyst. And then again, we'll recommend a repeat mammogram in six months or a year. But patients with more concerning findings might need to undergo biopsy. Okay. And I would like to say that most biopsies that we perform actually comes back benign. It's a benign tissue. It's not a cancer. But some of the biopsies do come back as cancer. Now, if it's a cyst, you know, I mean, just a fluid-filled area, I mean, I guess it's just my nature of being critical care. Try to stick a needle in it and drain it? Or do you just, hey, it's a cyst, I'll leave it alone. What do you do? We tend to leave it alone unless they cause any problems. 
So okay. unless they're painful, it's very uncomfortable, they're really big, then we can mm-hmm. put a needle in it and aspirate the cyst. Okay. However, in most cases, um, they stay the same, they never grow, they're very benign. Mm-hmm. And we usually like to follow up and see whether or not they change in size over time. Mm-hmm. And most of them do not. Well, this is good. I mean, that was helpful just to kind of give them a, like a heads up that, hey, if you get called back, that's not abnormal. I mean, I'm still blown away. It's one in four. One in four, yeah. but 90% of the time, you just need additional pictures. That's it. Okay, that's good. That's really good. It's a little different if yeah, the doctor will find a lump. Okay, let's do, that. Let's do that routine. So a doctor finds a lump. Yeah. So what happens in this in this case? Then the mammogram is the first. The next way to go. Is the next way to go. Okay. But um, the there's a big difference in this. So it's not a screening mammogram. It's actually a diagnostic mammogram, and it's often accompanied by ultrasound to okay. begin with. And the reason is because we already have a palpable mass, and the mammogram we know it's a tool to find non-palpable cancers. Since we already can palpate something, we need to have more imaging, use different modalities and different techniques to figure out what it is. And so oftentimes it's a digital um, diagnostic mammogram that requires more pictures. So it'd be uh, at least six, sometimes eight different views and ultrasound of the breast. So when you put your orders in with your patients, it's like screening mammogram diagnostic. You just kind of click on those. Nice. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, when you go to mammogram, yep. it's important to let technician know whether or not you feel any lumps because the screening mammogram may not be useful in patients who already have a lump. So it has to be diagnostic. Wow. Well, you know, this is my last question. That was really helpful. So, you know, you finished your fellowship, you finished your residency. I know you just started. And by the way, I'm very impressed. You know your stuff. I loved the way you answered everything. What are your goals in the future? You know, I now I'm curious because you have so much ahead of you. What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? Well, thank you. I really appreciate your kind comments. Um, my main goal is to work more on cancer prevention and advocacy. So I do a lot of research in cancer prevention, lifestyle modification for cancer prevention. And also, um, actually, I'm working on a one clinical trial who hopefully will start enrolling at the beginning of the next year, which utilizes um, cancer cells that we can identify in blood for patients who undergo screening for breast cancer or a treatment for breast cancer. So we hope that there will be another diagnostic tool that we can use capturing cancer cells that we can detect in blood. Wow. So I'm sure someone is going to want to follow up with you or meet you because you're just amazing. If a patient wants to get a hold of you, what, what, what's the easiest way to find you here at USC? Oh, it's the easiest way is to go to USC website, mm-hmm. type my name, and I do accept new patients, so I'll be happy to see. You're going to get a bunch, trust me, when this comes out here. But let me just say this, Dr. Martinova, Stacy, thank you for being here. And hey, everyone listening to the Dr. Raj podcast today, I hope you got some amazing tips and pearls about breast cancer. And I hope you know what the next step is, because that's always the most important thing, is making the first correct step. And stay tuned in a couple of weeks for our next Dr. Raj podcast. Thanks for listening. 
This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.